listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website, ssbaptistchurch.com. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. He says, forget the former things, do not dwell. Look at that. Do not, that's the NIV, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing what kind of thing? I am doing a new thing. Let me tell you about great Christians. Great Christians have discovered this. They have discovered that if God is going to use them, they have come to terms with their past. If they have a painful past, if they've made mistakes in their life, they don't spend the rest of their life grieving, regretting, bemoaning, and bitter over their past. They have the ability to do what the writer here said. Isaiah said to the nation of Israel, he said, forget. And that's the key. Because there's nothing that you and I can do about our past, but forget it and put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's a great Christian. They're not getting bitter, they're getting better. If it's a painful past, they're not spending their life grieving, regretting, bemoaning, but if it is a prideful past, they're not spending all their time gloating over their past, living in the past, talking about how great it was in the past. They're putting the past behind them. Number two, and this was last week, to be a great follower of Jesus Christ is to understand the cost. You see, Jesus was not a very good recruiter. We said this last week. He was always cutting the ranks, trimming the crowd. He could get rid of the fluff in a minute. Because he would always talk about the cost of following him. And he said this in Luke 9, 23. He says, if any man will come after me, if any man will follow me. He is straight talk here. There's no gloss. There's no sugar coating. It's tough. It's real. It's to the point. He doesn't apologize here. He says, if any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself. Say it real loud. Do what? Deny. What does that word mean? You remember there's only one other time that it's used in the Scripture. It was used by Peter when he was at a fireside and a young little young lady looked at him and said, Don't you, aren't you a friend of that Jesus, that Galilean? And Peter raised him up and looked at her and said, I don't know that man. That's the same word and that's what you and I are doing. Every day we get up, look in the mirror and say, I don't know that man. I know Christ and Him crucified. Paul said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. It's not about knowing me. It's not about me. It's about Christ. Knowing Him. And so he says, deny himself. Take up His cross. Listen. Listen to this quote here. Only after a person has denied himself, taken up his cross, is he ready to follow Christ. That's lordship. The problem in so many of our lives is we want to follow Christ. We want to claim to follow Him without understanding the prerequisites. And now we come to this third sermon in the series, and I've titled it, Driven to Win. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, picking up at verse 19, look at what Paul said here. Paul is a driven man. He says, though I am free and belong to no man, 
I make myself a what? A slave to everyone. To win as many as possible. We were talking earlier about about slavery in this country. My friend, I got news for you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, every one of you are slaves. That's what Paul said. He said, I am a doulos, I am a servant, which is better translated, I'm a slave. Paul said, I have made myself a slave to everyone, now here's the reason, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the glory or for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way. Underline that. That is a powerful statement. He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will what? That will last for how long? Forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, listen to this. Listen to this. This is critical, men. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You, and Lord, we have encountered Jesus in the worship service. Wow. Just singing the name. Were You there? We were there. Because we were in Christ. And Lord, right now, dear Lord, we pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would speak to every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room. That this, dear Lord, would be a divine encounter, a life-changing moment in which we will never be the same again. You have brought us here by divine appointment. And there are people in this room today, their lives will be forever changed because you have a word for them, for all of us. And so, Lord, may our hearts be sensitive And as Ledge and Andy acted out so well a moment ago, may the dear sweet chisel of your word, held by the power of the Holy Spirit, with the hammer in your hand, may you chip away the things in this moment that do not look like your son Jesus. And I say that for this messenger too. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, we, we, we use this word driven. And if there's a word that could characterize, I believe, one of the greatest followers of Jesus Christ, 
that is the Apostle Paul, the one who writes this letter to the church of Corinth, is that he was a man that was driven. Great men, great women who have been used in any field, including in the cause of Christ, are men and women who are driven. They are abandoned. They are sold out. They are possessed. They are consumed with it. I heard a pastor say this week, I was talking to a friend of mine. He was talking about his pastor. There were some things going on in the church, and his pastor said to this staff member, well, listen to me, I don't want to go out of my ministry in the middle of a fight. My friend, I got news for you. What better way to go out? You and I are not... Listen, we're not retired. We're in the middle of a spiritual warfare. I walked into, I walked into Steve's office and I, and I walked up, he was sitting there at his, off, at his desk and had his head down. And I walked in, walked right over to him. I said, three seconds, tell me the greatest running back in the NFL. What'd you say? What'd you say it? Say it loud like you mean it. You ought to be proud. Oh, he's an Alcorn graduate. Say it louder. Stand up and tell these people. Who was the greatest running back NFL ever had? Walter Payton. Walter Payton. Who played for what university? Where's Ledge? Jackson State. My friend, regardless of what you may think of JSU, Walter Payton probably was one of the greatest running backs, if not the greatest running back of all time. And anybody who remembers that, I remember watching Walter Payton, those playbacks back when I started my freshman year of college. I called my dad and said, Dad, you need to look at Jackson State playbacks. This guy's phenomenal. But I later understood this and learned this from a man who worked for the Mississippi Highway Patrol. He said of Walter Payton, he said, and he played for JSU, he said when all of the rest of us were going home, he said you could hear the pound of Walter Payton's feet up and down, up and down, up and down those bleachers. Had an opportunity to meet Walter Payton one time. They said that his wife made his pants, his trousers, because he couldn't find anything that would fit the, the legs that that man had. They were just unbelievable. For the Chicago Bears, if there wasn't a hole, he made one. He was a man that was driven. And that's what we need today in the church. Men and women who are driven, who are sold out, who are possessed, who are consumed in being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now let me give you two things about the Apostle Paul. Paul was driven in two ways. First of all, Paul was driven to win the lost. Look at verse 19. I love this. Paul said, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. Watch this. To win as many as possible. Everybody look this way. Anybody that's watched the Weather Channel knows this name. And it's the name Dr. Greg Forbes. Dr. Greg Forbes is the premier expert probably in this country and he is employed by the Weather Channel. He is brilliant in his field. Last Saturday when that tornado was coming down on Yazoo City, my parents' telephone went out. I mean not their telephone, their TV. They lost their cable. They had no TV. And so I called my parents to try to relay to them and warn them and get them ready. Now I was glued to the TV weather channel 
listening to Dr. Gray Forbes with my parents on the line. And I said, I want you to know this, Dad, Mom, he says that a tornado is imminent. He said that if you are in Yazoo City, you need to take cover immediately. And Dad listened to me, his voice broke, and he said, this is not going to be good. And he looked like he was about to cry on national TV. Now let me read this story, listen to this. One man with a family was watching the Weather Channel. When Dr. Greg Forbes... When he said it was imminent, it called his attention. But he said when Dr. Forbes' voice broke and he looked like he was about to cry and he said these words, this is not going to be good. That man said he stood to his feet. He said he grabbed his wife and his three kids. He went into the bathroom. He crouched down between the toilet and the tub. He wrapped his arms around his family. He said, in seconds, my house exploded. And everything I had was gone, except for my wife and my three children, tucked between the toilet and the tub. He went on to say this. He said, thank you, Dr. Forbes. The urgency and your passion drove me to take it serious. The problem in this room is that for many of us, we don't take it serious. There is a spiritual storm that is brewing. There are eternal consequences because souls of men and women that you work with, that you're going to see tomorrow, are hanging in the balance. And you're not reading the signs. You know, you're a spiritual meteorologist. Did you know that? And you should be counseling those people around you like Dr. Forbes. You need to take cover. And the only cover there is is the robes of righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know, there are a lot of men and women today, a lot of leaders today that believe we're living in the last days. You know, I watched the Weather Channel, watching the Weather Channel. Storms, record-setting snowstorms, record-setting flooding, record-setting weather, earthquakes everywhere, volcanoes still lifting their, 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 their heads up. Even, in, even right now, today, again, Iceland is beginning to see the spew of a volcano all over again. An oil spill down in the Gulf Coast, down in the, in the Gulf of Mexico. And I wonder, you know, just what it, would it take for America to get her attention and to say, you need to come back to me. We've had economic collapse. We have wars we can't get out of. My friend, we are the, we are the Greg Forbes. The, we are the spiritual meteorologists who see the storm of God coming. If not for a nation, for people whose lives are that close from death every second. An American does. 60 a minute. 3,600 an hour. 85,000 a day. And over 30 million a year. And most of them are going into eternity. And they're all around us. 
getting ready to go into a tornado, a storm that they have no idea. And you're the, you're the Dr. Forbes. You see, Paul was driven. Churches that are used mightily by God are made up of congregations of Greg Forbes. These are men like Paul. These are men and women like Paul who are driven to win the loss and will do whatever they have to do in order to do that. My friend, if you get serious about telling people about Christ, you have to do some things. And I will have to do some. It requires radical change. Listen to what Paul said in verse 19. He said, first of all, he said, I'm willing to serve. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him what? Let him what? Deny himself. You see, Paul said this. Look at verse 19. Paul said, though I am free. He said, though I'm redeemed. Though I am bought and paid for by Jesus Christ, I'm not a slave to nobody. Paul said, I I make myself a slave. To my wife, to my husband, to my family, to my friends, to my workplace, to my home, to my church, to my community, everywhere. Wednesday night. And I tell you what, if you're not here on Wednesday, we have more on Wednesday nights than we have here. Our parking lot's full on Wednesday nights. If you're not here, you're missing something. We had a three-car accident out here, right here, right straight across from the church. We had a man laying over there that probably had a, he probably had a skull fracture. And he's laying over there and his head is just ringing and he's just holding his head. And Andy and I got there and got on each side of him and began to pray for him. People watching, praying. Paramedics eventually got there. We, they laid him out there. But do you know what? A beautiful picture of the church. That paramedic looked at Andy and he said, would you continue to hold his head? And Andy, Andy was down there cradling that man's head into his hands until that paramedic said, finally, okay, uh, we're ready now, we can take him. Leanne Ainsworth made this statement. She said, Brother Jeff, you said that we are not a hospital, we're a trauma center. And that's the church. It's not a museum for the saints. It is a hospital for broken and battered and bruised lives. This is a trauma center. And Leanne Ainsworth said it was no more beautiful a sight than the picture of men of God kneeling down by a man whose life was broken and praying over him and holding his head. Paul said, listen to this, he said, I make myself a slave of everyone. This means people that don't agree with me politically... This means people of colors, not mine. This means of other races. This means of other people of all different shapes, colors, and sizes. Paul said, that's immaterial to me. And I love this. He said, it's a voluntary thing. He said, I make myself a slave to everyone. It's the opposite of today's church. Here's today's church. First of all, let me judge you. Let me pass judgment, see if you pass the test. What do you people have to offer me? What do you have to offer my family? That's the average church member today. That's the average person walking into the church. You see, this is what Paul was saying. He was willing to serve. Secondly, he was willing to change. Look at verse 20. He said, to the Jew, I became a Jew in order to win the Jew. 
What Paul does here, and he says this, those under the law, those not under the law, Paul said this, he said, I am willing, I am so serious about taking the gospel to people, he said, I'm willing to take notes of all of the diversities of groups, identify those cultural distinctives, adapt, change, conform, do whatever I have to do in order to share the gospel. Now that doesn't mean you compromise the scripture. It doesn't mean you compromise the Word of God, but this is what missionaries do. I care nothing about NASCAR. But I tell you what, I'll read up enough on it. If I'm sitting there drinking coffee with a man, I'll learn enough to know a few names and know who won this race and know who won that race just so I can get some kind of conversation going with him. And you let me talk to that man long enough and I'll take him to Dale Earnhardt when he was going around the last turn and gave the finger to the crowd and went into eternity. And I want him to know this, Dale Earnhardt had no idea that when he flipped the crowd off and flipped the driver off, he had no idea that he was getting ready to step into eternity. Paul said, I'm willing to serve. Paul said, I'm willing to change. I was speaking over at a church here in, this, in, in our city. Speaking to high school and college students. I was thinking about, well, what am I going to dress? How am I going to dress? I don't need to dress like this. So I put blue jeans on, a pair of boots on, had my shirt tail hanging out, and went in there. I want you to know something. When I pull my shirt tail out, it's hard. Because I grew up in a time you didn't wear your shirt tail out. But he'd stop you in the hallway and say, son, you put that shirt tail back in. You ran, Jeff, did you grow up in those times? I thought maybe you might be too young, but you know, you didn't wear your shirt tail out. But you see, this is what Paul is saying here. You know, even in Zimbabwe, walking around, chi-chi, chi-chi, chi-chi. That's what is this? I'm a little bitty boy. Taura Speak slowly to me. Which means I don't speak well. Talk slowly to me. Why? Because I wanted to be all things to all men in order that I might therefore win some. My friend, you and I need to do whatever we need to do to share our faith with other people. We need to find out what their interests are and we need to learn what we can and look for those bridges of opportunity. Suppose you met somebody. Suppose you had a horrible illness that maybe you were dying of. It was destroying your life and you met a doctor who treated and cured you. Let me ask you something. Would you tell anybody else? Would you tell other people who were sick? Last Sunday, Alicia and Sheila and Legend, we got to laughing Alicia's grandmother, who's gone to be with the Lord, Alicia's grandmother, her, her, uh, is that maternal or paternal? Okay. But anyway, her grandmother was the organist at First Baptist Church, Brandon. She was a very, very classy woman, carried herself with great dignity, uh, a beautiful, sweet spirit, played the organ at First Baptist Brandon, just a remarkable woman, wrote many of the cantatas that churches have sung through the years, a, a, a gifted musician. 
But we got to laughing because during that time I'd come home from Africa, I was sick, I was try- I'd been to Mayo Clinic, I was trying to get better, and I preached for Gene Henderson on, on one time, I preached for him three weeks straight because he was in India. And other times he'd invite me to preach. And I would be sitting on the front row waiting to preach, and they would be televising this service, and her grandmother would be over here. This is her grandmother, Pentecostal on the organ. She's just going at it. Born them feet just to work, and she's going at it. And she'd, she would look at me, and I would be sitting on the front row waiting to preach. Walt Grayson, Walt Grayson was running the cameras. And all of a sudden, she'd, she'd look, and she'd go, She'd wave to me, come here, come here. So here I am, I'm kind of, you know, kind of creeping up to the, to the organ there, you know, and, and right in the middle of the service. I went to this doctor in Mexico, and he has just helped me so much. And I think he could help you. Shit, listen. And she was serious. I remember Walt Grayson making the statement one day. He said, Jeff, he said, I looked up there and you were gone. (laughs) Hear me, hear me. She could not even wait till the end of the service to tell somebody about a cure. You see, when you and I have the disease of sin and we've been under the great physician, Dr. Jesus, and He has healed us, listen, we can't help it. We look for every opportunity. Steve, a moment ago. Steve's been floating since Thursday night. He comes floating into my office a moment ago. He said, man, you'll never believe what happened. He said, Thursday night I had 55 young men here. Now these are predominantly 18 to 25 young African-American young men. He said, I had 55 here. He said, 11 prayed to receive Christ. Man. Paul said, he said this, I will do whatever I have to do in order to win people to Christ. And my friend, as long as you and I do not compromise the biblical truths of God's Word, anything goes. D.L. Moody said this, D.L. Moody would buy children shoes to get them to come to church. He was a shoe salesman. One man, one man, a businessman said he went one day and he was walking down through. Chicago had children. They, you know what they called them? They called them hellions. Hellions. And this businessman said he came to, a, came to a big old warehouse. He thought the warehouse was empty. He said he looked and there was a glow of a single candle. He estimated there were six hundred little boys and girls that Chicago referred to as street kids, hellions. And they said big old barrel chest Moody was sitting in the middle of that group holding a candle and his Bible open and he was telling a story and they were sitting and hanging on every word. I can tell you this much, we had 35 to 40 little boys down there on Wednesday nights. And about seven weeks ago, when I walked down in there, it was just, to me, it was just bedlam. I went to Steve and Daryl and Jason and Chris and some of these men and began to pull them together and to say, we can reach these boys. 
Let's divide them up. We gave them each a colored uh, vest. Green team, yellow team. Jason, what color are you? Red? Red, red team. We divided them boys up. We even gave Christina a group of girls and they wore a little purple tea, uh, a little purple vest. Then I began to just write some little Bible stories and we began to talk about life lessons and talk about the Bible. These children, listen, they didn't know Genesis, didn't know Revelation, didn't know what sin was, didn't know the story of David and Goliath. They didn't know anything. I thought I was going to choke one of those boys one Wednesday night. I'm serious. I got up and said, you're going to sit down right now, son. (laughs) This past Wednesday night, God is my witness. You came in there and watched it. You could have heard a pin drop to the whole story. They knew the story of blind Bartimaeus. They knew the story of the woman touching the hem of his garment. They knew the story of the little boy who gave his sack lunch and gave it to Jesus and Jesus multiplied it. They knew the story of Zacchaeus. Hey, climb that little tree. They knew what sin was. The boy, the boy that I was going to choke got a special prize because he was the only one that brought his Bible. My friend Paul said, I became all things. He was driven. He was driven to win the loss. He was willing to serve, willing to change, willing to do whatever. And then finally this, and we'll close. He was not only driven to win the loss, he was driven to win the race. Paul said in verse 24, listen to this. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners won, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Wow. And this day they had the Isthian Games, the Olympics and the Isthian Games in Corinth. And for 10 months, the residents of Corinth would see these athletes training. On the last month, they'd see him getting ready. The main event was a race. So when Paul tells this church at Corinth about running the race, they understood that. He said, listen, they were all... He said, listen, everyone is running, but some are running to win the race. You know, I I used to, when I visit Jeanette Price, Wingfield, they'd have the kids running. Here, here's, here's, this, you know, there's a difference between running in PE and running as an athlete. An athlete is down and he's, he's stripped down to the bare essentials and you can just see every muscle taunt. He is just, his eyes are glued. He's just sitting there as if he's a pistol cocked and he's ready to go. But you watch the most guys running in PE. I tell you, folks, that's what a lot of us look like to the church. That's what a lot of the church looks like to a lost world. And the problem is this, they're not hungry. In Rocky 3, in Rocky 3, Mr. T just literally stomps Rocky. But before that happens, Mick, who is the manager of Rocky... He's got these contests, these fights going on. But Mr. T everywhere keeps challenging Rocky and challenging him publicly. And finally, there's this encounter. If I could have found it, I would have played it today. There's this encounter 
where Rocky gets mad at his manager, Mr. T, and he, and I meant not Mr. T, Mick, over the fact that Mick keeps trying to protect him and not allowing him to fight Mr. T. And so in this exchange, here's this old man, this manager, Mick, and he dies in this one, in, in Rocky III. He dies in it. And Rocky's angry, and Rocky looks at him, and he says, Mick, he said, why won't you let me fight him? He's making a fool out of me. And you see this old man raise up, and he said, because you are not hungry anymore. That's why you can't fight him. You're not hungry anymore. You can't take him. He'll beat you. I can tell you one thing, folks. There's some of us in this room nowadays that Jesus Christ is spending His time as our manager, protecting us, keeping us out of the fight, because listen, we have lost the hunger. We're not hungry anymore. And you say, Brother Jeff, what do you mean by that? Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said what? Can we get it up there, Matthew 5, 6? Maybe not. Is it up there? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Do you hunger for righteousness? Do you thirst for it? Are you driven to win the race? David said this in Psalm 27, 8. He said, Thy face, O Lord, it's all I seek. Moses said in Exodus 33, 18, He said, I pray thee, show, my, show me your glory. You know what God said, Moses? And you can go ahead and stand up. Jeffrey, come on and lead this, this invitation. In Exodus 33, Moses said, God, show me your glory. God said, no man can see my face and live. You know what Moses said? Well, then kill me. But let me see. My friend, the reason America's in the shape that it's in today, the reason the church is in the shape that it's in today, is because godly men and women no longer hunger for righteousness. And because we don't hunger for it, the world doesn't see it. And the world tells us, go stand in the corner. Because that's what the world has told the church. Stand in the corner, shut up and be quiet. Most of you young people have compromised. Steve told me this. He said a pro quarterback making $9.6 million is getting ready to be traded from a team in the NFL. And, I, and he said, and you know why? Because he loves to eat. He's going to lose a $9.6 million contract for an order of fries, a combo meal. And before you think that that quarterback is stupid, there are some people in this room that have traded a spot in heaven for a lot less. There are people in this room that have, that have traded the rewards and the glory and the things that will one day you'll be receiving that you'll in turn use as an act of worship in place at the feet of Jesus. You're going to go empty-handed. You know, there's a scene that I always have and, and one day I know it's going to be true. And I thought about it when we were worshiping. I dreamed that I'd died and I'd gone to heaven. And I was standing and there were just absolutely millions of people like a wave of the ocean. 
And Jesus began to be exalted and He was up and we were worshiping and we were praising Him. And all of a sudden, Jeffrey, I did this. I said, Jesus! Jesus! And I was shouting and I was jumping higher than the others. And He looked at me. And And He let me know, I see you, son. I see you. Oh, my friend. May we thirst and hunger for holiness, for righteousness, so that we can see Him. And if no man can see God and live, then may we be like Moses. Then God, just kill me! I want to see you that bad. Oh, glory. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that You love us, Lord. This may be a remnant of people. We may be down today. But Lord, I've given it everything in me. Someone said to me, Brother Jeff, you look as if you're pouring everything in you into that message, and Lord, I'm doing it today. Because Lord, there may be one here that never hears a message again. They're they're one second away from death. Church membership won't buy anything. Church membership won't give them access into the kingdom of heaven. Church attendance won't mean anything. Tithe and offering won't mean nothing. Teaching a Sunday school class won't make a dime's worth of difference. Being a deacon, a staff member, being a minister won't make a dime's worth of difference. It is by simple childlike faith and trust in Christ. And Lord, I pray of this one here that doesn't know You, that today they'll give You their heart and their life and they'll sell out to You and they'll say, Lord, be Lord of my life. For others that have been floundering and flopping, they're not in a race. They're not running to win the prize. They've begun to compromise. They've, they've, they've loosened. They've given up. They've thrown in the towel. As Paul said, they're no longer qualified. They're a whatnot on God's shelf in His home. They're not in the race anymore. But God, today their hearts have been stirred. The Holy Spirit has moved in them. And dear Lord, they need to be driven to win lost people. They need to plead with the people they work with and they go to school with and the neighbors and the friends and those around them. They need to plead and say, will you give your heart and life to Christ? There's a storm brewing. And Washington can't fix it. Congress can't do anything about it. Lord, we're a nation today that so desperately needs a touch on the church. So Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, we need to obey You. Our obedience speaks a lot lot louder than our worship. God, speak to us. In the name of Jesus, Amen. We have counselors that are here. If Christ is speaking to you today...